Hello, this is Amber, and I've got some good news and some bad news for y'all. Good news is I'm feeling a lot better since the last time you heard my voice on the dirt. Bad news is um, I didn't have a cold. I had COVID and the flu. But the good news is I've been able to get back to work and work on the next episode script. But the bad news is I wasn't able to finish it in time for us to record it. But the good news is we've got an excerpt of a recent episode of Old News to share with you. Um, That's good, right? I think it's good. Hope you think it's good. Um, Enjoy this episode. And we will be back actually very soon, finally. Uh, I finally, knock on wood, well again. Um, And you will hear from us so, so soon. But until then, enjoy this episode excerpt of Old News, uh, which is some of our premium content over on Patreon. And we'll soon be on Ghost. All right. Enjoy. <laughs> so... <laughs> Go to the next news story, I guess. Yeah. So that, but that's <laughs> what's happening. Just that level of like, shut up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So yeah. my next story that. is uh, comes from the Guardian. Um, young Sudanese archaeologists dig up history as quote West knows best end quote era ends. Um, so this <laughs> you mean is there a- was civilization over yeah. there in Africa. So this is a uh, feature story with interviews from multiple young Sudanese archaeology oh, cool. students and some Sudanese archaeologists who like have been in the field for a while. Um, and so I recommend you just read it because it's a it's a lot of um, just hearing their perspectives. Um, so there, um, there's um, it features an interview with Dr. Alia. Uh, Gail Nabi, who's the acting director of Sudan's National Museum. Um, and she was one of three women studying archaeology 30 years ago in the country. And now there are 20. Uh, so she's quoted saying, quote, this is a very great change and an important one. There are more and more young women in Sudan who are interested to know about their history, and they deserve to know this. Twelve years ago, we had only foreign missions working here, but this is changing. Now we have many Sudanese missions digging at our sites, end quote. Um, and so this isn't just like a girl power kind of thing. Uh, this is like broader than just like women in stem kind of stuff um so I, i'm gonna quote the i'm gonna quote from that article now um so quoting dr sada mira who's a swedish somali archaeologist who's currently an associate professor of heritage studies at university college london says quote the cost of living Climate crisis, migration, reflecting on our identity, archaeology can and should be speaking to all these things. We need to build something new, something that is equitable, richer, and relevant, end quote. 
Mira recently helped to launch a two-year project in northern Kenya that has involved 35 people from local communities in the study of rock art. Quote, these are people who have never thought about archaeology. They have a lot of knowledge we don't have, and this just shows what people can do when they're not patronized or infantilized, but just given the equipment and know-how. It's a way of connecting two worlds, end quote, she said. Um, so there's also, a, this article talks about how there's also a growing trend of Sudanese archaeologists traveling from Sudan to work on sites in the UK and Europe. Uh, sort of, this is that countering like the West knows best mentality. Yeah. That you're bringing in external experts. Yeah. Um, and so this I really like appeals apples. to um, a student named Sabrine El Sadiq. Um, she's 24 and has never left Sudan at press time. Um, and she says, <laughs> quote, we want to discover more and travel. I want to know about my history, but also all history. Why shouldn't we come and yeah. study your history in the West like you've done here? We could teach you something perhaps. Um, and so yes. read the article. It's full of really valuable perspectives um, and just a lot of um, just like, I'm really, I'm really happy to see that, um, these, these students and, um, established professionals have been contacted, um, and sort of reached out to for this. Yeah. That is super great. I, yes. Yeah. I love that. Just, yeah. Come on over. Yeah. There's a lot to make up for. <laughs> oh Definitely. gosh. Um, I'm going to text you something because, okay. um, no, no, it's you've been it's messing good. around on your phone. Yeah, because my mom's texting me, in all caps, the best baby. And now she's sending me handfuls of baby pictures. Okay. Because it Can is my you... birthday. And I she... know. It, yes, I know. And, and I want she... you to celebrate. But I also want you to... Here we go. I'm focused. Okay. This next story... Uh... <laughs> now it is I. Look at me. I'm the one being texted. <laughs> Oh, uh gosh, this so cute. I know. Still am. Just bigger. <laughs> Here's the real headline. Okay. Ancient stone tools once thought to be made by humans were actually crafted by monkeys, say archaeologists. But I call it oops, all monkeys. Archaeologist Augustin Agnolin and paleontologist Federico Agnolin related probably. Uh said this statement about about what they have been working on which was kind of self-deflating. We are confident that the early archaeological sites from Brazil may not be human-derived, but may belong to capuchin monkeys. Look at that confidence. We're confident that it could be this. So confident. I mean, that's how I move through the world. Um, so these are quartzite and quartz shards, stone shards, um, and they have long been thought to be the earliest examples of human toolmaking in the Americas, which would put humans in what is today Brazil at least 50,000 years ago. But capuchin monkeys, who also live in that area, have been observed making extremely similar tools that they use for cracking nuts. And so <laughs> here's my favorite set of facts from this article. Stone tools assist capuchins with other tasks as well, such as digging. And the females throw rocks at potential mates as a way of demonstrating sexual interest. Uh, toxic femininity right there. 
in this area where there are these stone tools, there are no hearths or other traces of human occupation, which doesn't, you know, a- absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Maybe there were people, but it's not looking like there's any definitive proof that there were people, which is a setback for anyone trying to sort of contest the Clovis first argument about when and what type of people you know not what type of people but like what material culture of people what type of people people? Uh, what typology of people rude (laughs) giving Uh, yeah funny thank you um and it sort of throws additional doubt on the dating of the white sands footprints which is you know i just talked there was already my dad this morning yeah what's he yeah. think he he thinks it's amazing we were talking about like dating mm. like types of dating mm-hmm. very asexual family <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about like the the relative benefits of different types of dating right um <laughs> cause he was talking about like ice cores and and then he was like oh like because he wanted to know how far how old something can be before carbon radiocarbon dating is not very helpful. Uh, yeah. 50 K 50 K. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, yeah. So that's something that I feel like there's, um, this is a really interesting story, but it's also one that I'm just like, Oh God. Cause it really like, yeah, there is, there's like a Venn diagram, like not everybody who's like Clovis first is a racist. But there are a lot of racists. It's a hefty who are Clovis first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, like, um, not all, not all quadrilateral polygons are squares. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We can think of a few who are um, a bunch of squares. Okay. So, my next story, I'm pulling from Live Science, and. Um, the, the stop texting your mom. I'm not. I'm just looking at the baby photos. Oh my god! So um, this headline here is: Prehistoric population once lived in Siberia, but mysteriously vanished. Genetic <sighs> study finds. Um, and I took a risk and assigned it to mm-hmm. myself. Um, I'm very. That's great. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know like what's that. going on. And also, there is an extremely long name in here that I'm going to choke on. So um, this story oh deals with a study of DNA makeup of previously excavated persons from across North Asia. Uh, so it's like a um, – what are those called? Like a, like a comprehensive study or meta study. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so this extends from Western to Northeastern Siberia, which Beep. is a critical area for studying population movement into the Americas. Um, yeah. So from these... Maybe a more um, useful way than just looking at stone tools and going, ah! Looking at stone tools or like little bits of grass seed like in footprints. Um, mm-hmm. Which is very cool. Yeah. But not what we're doing here. Um, so from this population, from this data set, they, they had uh, 10 genomes uh, dating back as early as 7,500 years ago, um, and most were excavated from the Altai region. So the Altai is now, at, now sort of the region where the modern political states of Kazakhstan, Russia, and Mongolia meet, like, like the centralist of Asia. Um, and so... It's 
So having DNA data back that far, like the full on, like that's that's great. It doesn't happen a lot in climates cold like helps, this. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, the cold helps. Um, but just having so so they mm-hmm. use so their findings included from from this. Um, there is a group of people presumed to have lived in Siberia at least ten thousand years ago. I assume this is ghost DNA kind of thing of like figuring out Seems that way. how far yeah. back it would have split to create mm-hmm. multiple ones. Um, so I have a quote here from um, the from um, Posth, uh, who's I don't know what to one of the authors. Posth, yeah. So one of the authors of the study um, is quoted saying, um, "Sorry, so." Uh, quoted that the um the previously unknown group of hunter gatherers uh were quote a mixture between two distinct groups that lived in Siberia during the last ice age um end quote so dna from the those prehistoric hunter gatherers was found in many later communities across north asia so from the bronze age which is like 3000 to 1000 bce to the present day uh, again, quoting uh, Poss, showing how great the mobility of the, those foraging communities was, end quote. So, I don't know if this is ghost DNA. The thing that I don't know is if it's, I guess well, they're would, saying that. Wouldn't that the ghost specific- DNA be that belonging to the sort of putative 10,000 year old population? Yeah, that's. So you're you're taking the genomes that you have of people from across uh, North Asia. Right. And there's bits and then, that seem to have. And then finding the, and then sort of trying to target, like triangulate a point of origin, mm-hmm. both in time and geography. Is that what's happening yeah. there? Yeah. Um, so something else that they found in this study is that gene flow happened both ways in both directions. Yeah. So people totally were coming sense. from the Americas to Siberia in multiple episodes, not just leaving. Because like I think the popular conception is that it's sort of like <laughs> it it's sort of like the almost this We're like all exodus. Moving out. Yeah. It's it's like it's it's sort of painted as an exodus of like they are going in Probably search of opportunity like and travel. Like better weather but like no this was just a landscape. Yeah. There wasn't a destination. They weren't like we're gonna get to Chile in like you know, a few thousand years, if we keep trucking, they were just like, this is where I live. Right um, here, the beaches are great. Yeah. So ooh, there's a burial in Nijnetikeskin Cave, Altai. Um, this was a burial of a person who lived about 6,500 years ago, which featured a burial costume and grave goods thought to belong to a kind of magical religious healer or a shaman. Oh, cool. Um, so their burial location is more than 900 miles, so 1,500 kilometers west of the group that they had genetic ties with. Um, so either, um, this person was like a traveling shaman, a shaw person, um, or shaw maybe, person. I, I mean, I don't like they say, they say this person's male, but like, so either this, this, uh, magical religious healer type person was, had like a, a pretty big circuit or was very far from home or, or maybe 
the group to which this person belonged was, was far, far more from. widespread than previous believed, previously believed. Like maybe this person was at home, but just home was larger because these are uh, nomadic populations and perhaps the uh, they were larger populations or more disparate populations. Um, but it's, it isn't just sort of, you know, within 15 miles of where you find someone's <laughs> bones. Like it's, it could be much bigger. Yeah. Um, and they're the, also, they also the found. you can go in a lifetime is. Well, yeah. And, but, and also like seasonally can be mm-hmm. pretty, pretty mm-hmm. big. Um, and they also found that there are um, indications that there was more intergroup mobility, genetic mobility than previously mm. thought. So, um, so people were the same person. Mixing and mingling. So the same person, Cosimo Post, um, who's at the Universität Tübingen, um, said, quote, uh, geographically distant hunter-gatherer groups showed evidence of genetic connections to a much larger extent than previously expected. This suggests that human migrations and admixtures, so interbreeding among groups, were not the exception, but the norm also for ancient hunter-gatherer societies. So I think, end quote, so I think that this is something that kind of spits in the face of that kind of pop psychology, like people distrust one another and like racism is like a natural biological thing and like, because it's sort of like in-group, out-group kind of stuff. And it's just like, people also like having, um, healthy and viable offspring and that usually comes with not having children with somebody very close to you uh biologically like genetically so i thought this was real like like it turns out north asia was like a lot more interesting and complex not Um, empty (laughs) well not even not empty but just also just like there was stuff going on yeah like this is as we always talk about like people are not just because it's out chilly. Existence. Yeah. They're, they're having lives. Yeah. I was trying to look up, I was trying to find a figure from this paper so I could see the map because it shows where the site is. Anyway, it's behind a paywall. So, what's your next story? My next story goes like this. Researchers in Vietnam discovered the two deer antlers languishing in museum storage are actually 2,000-year-old musical instruments. And to to be clear, there are two deer antlers, both of which are 2,000 years old. I'm not saying 2,000-year-old musical instruments. And to be crystal clear, Anna scooped mm-hmm. me on this one. Sorry, but you sent me this news story, and I sort of thought you were saying, hey... I do sort of thought I was saying, news. don't do this one because this oh. one's mine. Did you say that like in actual words? <laughs> no, but I also didn't say do this one. So I misinterpreted. No um, one is but, to blame. See, isn't that amazing? Human behavior, open to interpretation. Amazing. <laughs> um, well, I did include a cute deer photo on my script for you to look at. It's like if it a looks corgi- like my mom's dog. Yeah, I was going to say if if like a if a deer could also be corgified. Like it's got little legs. Just a little tank. Yeah. Well, um, so this knows. is this is an Indian hog deer. Um <laughs> the other so there are two possibilities for where, you know, the what animal these horns come from. And they could be an Indian hog deer or a sambar deer, which is much bigger. It's like a big old elk. Yeah, but I just included a picture of the Indian hog deer because just low to the ground and 
thick. Like, like Nuggy. Like Nuggy. Oh, she's uh, looking extra tank-like today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just, I don't, I think she might have rolled around some more in her, she got poofy, but like, she's aw. just like. Chunka, 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 chunka. You're the six pound brick of a dog. She's five pounds. Oh, okay. So she's these are clinically artifacts. chunky. The artifacts are stringed instruments, as it turns out. They were first excavated in the 1990s from a site in Vietnam. They are around a foot long, a little over a foot long. And if you picture an antler, I'd like you to picture an antler. There is a part that gets thicker close to the skull, uh-huh. right, the base of the horn. So there is a hole in the in the base that would fit a tuning peg. And then at the top of the horn, on one of the prongs of the the antler, there is a clear groove for a string to have been wrapped around. So probably uh, both antlers were made into an instrument. Um, the other antler, like one is is relatively intact, the other one's broken, but there were evidence of grooves. Just like us. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> One of us is relatively intact. The other is broken. I don't know who's who. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends. Um, so this is thought to be an example of a cordophone, which is a stringed instrument. Oh, yeah. That um, makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Cordophone. Uh, would likely be played by musicians sitting on the floor, drawing a bow across the, the strings. There was also this line in the article. According to the researchers, a primitive resonator may have also been used to amplify the musical effects. How about just a resonator? Like, how about just like a, a chamber? All it means is like a tube of some sort. You could like hollow out a branch or it's like not use like, a gourd but it's or not something. Like, it's not a Marshall. It's not a Moog. Like no, it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, it's very, very similar looking like in, in the reconstructions shown in the article. It's very similar looking to the, oh, I'm completely blanking on the name, but there's a Chinese instrument that has a, a round, shamisen. Pipa? pipa, shamisen, they're both, sh- the shamisen is a bowed instrument. I think the pipa is plucked, but I could be wrong. Could be bowed. Anyway, yes, very much like that. So I thought that was neat. That's very neat. Um, Thanks I've for got, sending me the new story. Sorry, I stole it. Thank you. That's okay because I found I have one really good one, and then I've got one that I hate that I think you'll really like. Uh, I, so I'll read the. I've got. I I've got one. Yeah. Um, next story from me, resident horse guy. Horse um, guy. This comes from <laughs> fizz dot org. Um, so headline. dot org. Um, the world's first horse riders found near the Black Sea. Uh, they're dead. So, yeah, they're still there. Just like, is anyone going to notice? Look at these horses. It's Wilfred Brimley. Um, so uh, this, this, the world's first horse, horse riders are among the Yamnaya culture uh, mm-hmm. who were near the Black Sea four to 5,000 years ago. Um, Kurgans? Did they build Kurgans? So um, this study is is done on skeletal remains from burial mounts called corrigans. Oh, sweet! Um, and so corrigan uh, is just the um, like Russian or Slavic word for burial mount. Um, oh. It's also one of the only words in Cyrillic that I can sight read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I think I can do like passport number. 
<laughs> and Kurgan. Like those are the ones that I got. Um, so uh, they are, they were, yeah, the Yamnaya people were uh, nomadic cattle and sheep herders, apparently on horseback. Um, and I'm just going to read, I'm going to read a quote because it's hard. Um, so I'm just reading a screenshot from my phone. Okay. <laughs> because I've been doing a lot of phone six inches from my face-based work over the past few weeks because mm. um, somehow that feels easier. Sure. Um, so I'm now quoting Martin Troutman, a uh, bioanthropologist in Helsinki, not to be confused with the indie rock band architecture in Helsinki. Um, and he's also the lead author of the study published in Science Advances. Um, he says, quote, We studied over 217 skeletons from 39 sites, of which about 150 found in the burial mounds belong to the Yamnayans. Diagnosing activity patterns in human skeletons is not unambiguously. There are no singular traits that indicate a certain occupation or behavior. Only in their combination as a syndrome, symptoms provide reliable insights to understand habitual activities of the past, end quote. So we're doing some processual archaeology here. Um, and and so this international team um, decided to use a set of six diagnostic criteria established as indicators of riding activity, which they called horsemanship syndrome. Um, not to be <laughs> you confused got that real with bad horse girl syndrome, where you got long hair, <laughs> no other hobbies, <laughs> tall boots, tall boots. Daddy's money. <laughs> like these are all. Wow. That's, okay. That's horse girl syndrome. Uh-huh. This is horsemanship syndrome. So the six criteria are um, muscle attachment sites on pelvis okay. and thigh bone. Um, so your pelvis to your theme, femur. Your femur. Um, so there are changes in the <laughs> normally femur. round shape of the hip sockets. Um, imprint marks caused by the pressure of the acetabular rim acetabular the, yep acetabular rim on the neck of the femur mm-hmm. um what is the acetabular rim anna is that part of it, a horse or part of a person person okay. it's uh yeah so the your acetabulum is the socket that the femur goes into okay so it's kind of that ridge so it's like if your legs were apart spent- and up it's, what, that's... No, it's more that if you um, spent a lot of time developing, like holding onto a horse with your legs, oh. your your hip, your um, adductor muscles. So it's like a thigh master be... syndrome. Sure. Like that, that sort of like it's holding you on. You would have is what more robust okay. bone growth there because you're using those muscles consistently. Okay. I guess. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah. So the diameter and form of the femur shaft is affected. Uh, vertebral vertebral degeneration caused by repeated vertical impact. Ugh. Yep. Horse riding. That is vivid diction, if you ask me. Um, and then traumata that typically Ugh. can be caused by falls, kicks, or bites from horses. Yep. Um, so those that is the, those are the hard. diagnostic criteria for horsemanship horsemanship syndrome. So about 15% of the persons examined are diagnosed as possible riders. Mm. 
where they, they feature these things. And, and the researchers like, you know, it could be something else, but also this is all stuff that's extremely consistent with, um, long-term horse riding. Mm-hmm. Um, so conventionally, which like, um, so, so, okay. So the Yamnaya people, when have you heard of them before? Do you remember we've talked hearing about of them, them before? before? Yeah. There are two things that we've talked about them on before. Uh, one was when we were talking about the Indo-Aryans and yes. sort of talking about sort of the Indo-Iranian, Indo-Aryan movements, like people coming from the steppes. They've got horses and fire and like that's their whole thing. Here they go. Um, and then also with the death of the mother goddess cult, like sort of the, the, it, that's Yamnaya. So, um, um, Gimbutash, uh, right? Mm, right. Yeah, Gam- Gimbutash, yes. the, yes, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. she, she was someone who worked, who studied Yamnaya culture as well as other, um, kind of, uh, Black Sea to like Pontic steps kind of people. Um, mm. and, and this is sort of seen as that shift from, peaceful peaceable mother worship mother goddess worship to like the like the violent fiery patriarchy like very like Jungian stuff like um so conventionally both in early archaeological research and now a lot of pop archaeology and also like fringe folks we'll call them generously um this is thought to be the product of a violent invasion that they kind of, this is how like Peter McGee would say in class, like, oh, they came in on their horses slinging like gray ware pottery <laughs> at them. Um, like, and, um, but this study and like this research is starting to show that that is, is giving more evidence to show that that was not the case. So, um, quoting, um, someone else involved, she's at Helsinki and involved in the, um, the study, uh, Bianca Preda uh, Balanika, um, who says, quote, our research is now beginning to provide a more nuanced picture of their interactions. They being, mm-hmm. uh, the, the right. horse people, horse riders ah. and pedestrian folks, um, <laughs> Continue the quote. For example, findings of physical violence, as were expected, are practically non-existent in the skeletal record so far. We also start understanding the complex exchange processes in material culture and burial customs between newcomers and locals in the 200 years after their first contact, end quote. So it really, it's not so much that they have like superior technology. Um, the Yamnaya, like, are, I think they're also the folks that sort of did the wheel and wagon. Uh, that's this sort of, they, they're, they're seen as one of the origin points of like those big technological booms in the, at the beginning of the bronze age. I'm skeptical um, of that happening in one place. With right. One exactly. People, but. Yeah. But, but like the, they have, um, so this, there's this sort of um, common and outdated, and like frankly lazy um hypothesis that uh oh they had superior technology yeah, therefore they, they could exert power wagon wheels. over people they they had like yeah. they they had like they they were out the the you know people without that were outgunned as it were um but what it seems like is that they just had 
a different form of technology that allowed them to be very effective in their herding, um, doing like cow person stuff. Um, and so it's something that allowed them to, you know, move further more quickly, but not necessarily to the detriment of anyone else. Um, that, that's, that's projecting a lot of ideas like about contemporary, like global North perceptions around and like constructions around, uh, property and territory and ownership and, uh, power relations and things that we can't, we, sh- we should, we must know. not assume existed yeah. in the past. Um, so, so this is something that's starting to, uh, kind of complicate that narrative. Good. Um, it should be complicated. And then like there's a there was just a little little tease of like future directions for this research. Mm-hmm. Um there was someone else, you know how um articles like to like re, like science column writers will reach out to be so and so who was not, not involved in not this involved research. in the study, but who yeah. is knowledgeable on this subject uh-huh. and isn't necessarily being like, it's crap, but being like, whoa, um, this is <laughs> a case of the latter. Um, they're, they're, they reached out to someone who said that there was someone who's been excavated, whose, whose remains have been excavated from a site in Hungary, contemporary Hungary, um, mm. who was thought to have immigrated from the steppe to this, to this site. Um, the, the remains are dated to a millennium earlier, um, but had the same complex of features. So there, um, there was already so maybe this diagnostic. Well, it's one person with whose skeletal remains right, but match maybe, these. Yes. So this, the person that was consulted on this said, this diagnostic tool might like completely change the game when it comes to identifying horsemanship in the past and like mm. use of horses for riding, rather than because mm-hmm. you can. Because even horse domestication isn't the same thing as horsemanship because no, they're a pretty horses good a lot of things. food source and cheese source. Um, and so this is – so my <laughs> my apologies to some um, probable colleagues at the Saudi Ministry of Culture who are putting forward the idea that like that early like – that chunk of rock, that chunk of limestone yep, that is definitely is a horse guy of uh, domestication of the horse because that chunk of that chunk of limestone looks like the head of a horse with a bit and bridle um, at uh, Magar uh, in Saudi. Um, still probably not. Magar, I say probably not. <laughs> um, but I thought that this was. I don't know why I keep talking about horses because love I, them so much. They freak me out. Just like when you Knock lose a tooth over. and you keep sticking your tongue in the hole. Sure the is. Um, so, okay. okay. So give me another story and then I'll okay. share my terrible story that I'm sure you'll like. Oh, <laughs> this is a very triggering story for me. Oh, I, your next one. Well, Listeners should know that while I was very sick with um, what was apparently COVID and the flu. Fluvid. Um, I had fluvid. Um it was really awful, as you all heard. Uh, that was me recovering. Um, I had a series of um, really awful stress dreams where I was just like being like rejected and abandoned by everything, and uh, being told like it's relatable not content. You. Yeah, but one of them uh, was um, Anna's partner got a gig, like a CRM gig, um, excavating. <laughs> 
in Rapa Nui. For which she is in and, no way qualified, despite her many qualifications. Like, but 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 she was she had this really like plush gig in Rapa Nui, and oh um, you went with. And I was like, oh, but we have to work on this show and all this stuff. And both of you did not have time for me and my, um, my like square boring nonsense because you were on the island and you had like a, like a, um, like a photo slideshow, like, like old timey, oh, like dinner parties man. and look at slides Click. of my vacation. Click. You yeah. want all you wanted to do was talk about being a Rapa Nui, and I was straight up jealous, and so I was like resentful. And then you dumped me. You dumped me because I was boring, and you were just gonna go to Rapa Nui, which is my dream, not yours. <laughs> no, I want that for you. And also, I'm I'm sorry that dream me is such a douche canoe. And but. then, like two days later, best friend of the show Hannah sent me this like a headline about this, and I was just like. <gasps> And is that why me, Naomi you, went? And then we were supposed to meet. For, we were supposed to have a meeting, and you're like, "Oh, we can like, we, I, I need to go get grocery. We need to do a grocery run because Naomi's leaving for field work in the morning." And I was just like, <laughs> "It's happening!" <laughs> I thought that I had a prophetic dream. She wasn't going and to Rapa Nui. She was going so to all, a town forty minutes away. <laughs> can I read the story? Yeah, it's very short. That's some context for the story. It's not though. <laughs> it's the thing. Dried Lake reveals new statue on Easter Island, a.k.a. Rapa Nui. Come on, Smithsonian. Everybody said Easter Island. It was awful. Every outlet. New Moai just dropped. What's the opposite of dropped? Because it, it like, unearthed. Uh, the statue. Up. It popped up. New Moai pops up. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a new pop-up. It's a very exclusive. Oh, it's a pop-up. Okay. Not the kind that's going to make me walk off the edge of the earth. No. But it is from Smithsonian, so either way. Yeah. The statue was found on February 21st of this very year by a team of scientific volunteers from three Chilean universities collaborating on a project to restore the marshland in the crater of the Ranuraku volcano. Volcano. Why would you say it like that? <laughs> because I became unable to read for a split second. Volcano. Uh, in, in the Ranuraku volcano. The director of the Mauhenua indigenous community that administers the Rapa Nui National Park said, quote, the interesting thing is that for at least the last 200 or 300 years, the laguna where the it's dried out, but the it was a laguna where the statue was found was three meters deep. So for the past few centuries, meaning no human being could have left the Moai there in that time. End quote. So this this guy this little this he's uh, this Moai, the Moai is one point not the yes director no, not of the, the indigenous yeah. community no. slow guy oh yeah, no no <laughs> pretty sure it's a woman anyway but um, the Moai is one point six meters tall so that's like five feet tall okay. six five six feet tall uh, and was found lying down on its side looking at the sky kind of beautiful kind of, just just fell over had a nap but yeah it's a it is another Moai, and well, I like I like them. Yeah, like and that's great. And I'm glad them. that I'm, I'm glad that it it's been it's been found because they because my understanding is that Moai have personhood in a way, like it's sort of mm -hmm. in a um, not that they're animated in some way, but that there there is value and mm -hmm. sort of um, being cared for 
is important. And so I'm glad mm-hmm. that the community is able to care for another. Um, yeah. Another Moai. New family member. Yeah. So uh, my last story is for Anna and not me. Um, and it comes to us from Artnet. And I read this one. I clearly stopped taking bullet notes probably because I like felt like I was going to throw up. Because <laughs> I was eating dinner while I did it. And <laughs> Why? Then um, why did you pick this one? You could have just sent it to me. I know. I've been like, don't do this one. And I would have been like, cool, I'll do it. Um, Subject headline, archaeologists in Portugal have discovered the remains of a favorite Neanderthal feast, roasted crab. Um, And that's fine. I'm fine with just talking about crab. But there were all these pictures of their little little busted claws. And I was like, gross little caleb heads. Um, So this is from... um, Figueira, Figueira, Brava Cave. Portuguese is a scary to me language. Um, so Figueira, Brava Cave, Figueira, Brava, Brava, which yeah. is 20 miles south of Lisbon in ah, Portugal. Okay. Um, so they, uh, archaeologists found a 90,000 year old charred remains of brown crab. Content note, crab. Um, so, they, Nature's default. <laughs> they are. Um, they're quite confident that this was. These were processed by by humans, by Neanderthals, um, because and not creatures, because there are no tooth not, marks. It's not monkeys. <laughs> there are no tooth monkeys. marks um, or evidence of shattering, because like seabirds will pick them up and drop them so they crack. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the breakage pattern. Um, resembles modern cracking and eating um like how brown crabs are currently served today in portugal with roe and mustard attorneys at law they also call mustard is not what you think it is i don't know do they serve it with actual mustard or do they serve it with the the innards yeah that's that's the mustard that they're referring to that's what i was afraid of and that's what happened that one time i had crabs and they showed me how to crack them and i vomited no more crabs for you oh Um, morphed so um (gasps) i mean just just end it there they ate crabs they roasted them but yeah, so the, if you want to know how to, if you want to recreate the recipe, um, go out, get some brown barf crabs. On this um, recording. They are presumed to have been roasted on coals at temperatures between 572 and 932, 930, sorry, degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which is, and I was like, what's specific, uh, which is 300 to 500 degrees centigrade. So um, they also found um, evidence of limpets, mussels, clams, and different kinds of fish um, in the same cave. So I thought that you, this is my birthday gift to you. Thank you. A little story. See you going, ew, ew. I just, I'm like, it is valid to eat crabs, but Mm -hmm. they freak me out and they've got Mm -hmm. all those little legs and they got those little eyes and I just don't like anything that'll look at me when I'm eating it, especially when it's got lots of little legs. It's the legs. That's what it is. Because I can eat fish that are looking at me. Oh, not anymore. I'm going through some stuff vis-a-vis <laughs> animal products. Um, so 
Um, but I thought that I thought that that would be really that that you would like that. I know that you're I really did. Into I do like ways that. that Neanderthals feed themselves, and I like the idea of them just. It is nice. You go down, and like you go down to the shore, and you like get some, short a table, baby. Short a table, yeah. And that's where we're gonna leave that tantalizing little nugget of old news, friends. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with us. And stay tuned. And if you want more of content like this, like news roundups, like deeper dives into topics that we have covered in the past, and like super salty takes on different topics with some swear words, those are all available as bonus tiers on Patreon and, as Amber said, soon to be on Ghost. Ooh. Um, you can haunt us with your dollars, but really what you're doing is supporting the show and the outreach that we do and our pass the mic grant. So if you want to support the show, you can join us on Patreon slash ghost. You can just chuck us a few bucks if you want to, uh, at paypal.me slash the dirt podcast, or, uh, you just tell everyone, you know, about us relentlessly forever. Okay. Thanks. We love you. Bye. Bye.